Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Have you ever noticed in a jewelry store, I have this somewhere, they always pull out a, a black pillow or a velvet cloth before they show you the various diamonds. You know why? Because the darker the background, the brighter the sparkle. It's important. So don't worry about what's happening with your children. Don't worry about what's happening in this world. Because God has a way of waiting till it's blackest. Waiting till it's dark. Does anybody understand where I'm going? The darker your world gets, the greater opportunity you have to shine. So God in his wisdom lets the sun go down. Lets it get dark, dark, demon dark. You hear what I'm saying? And then only when it's at its darkness does he show up and shine. So here, God was trying to teach us something. He was saying, listen, I could take the worst man. So you, you think you've done some bad thing. This guy was a killer in the name of the Lord. This is Osama bin Laden. Yeah. This is, this is who Saul was. And God could make him into the greatest advocate for the church. What can God do with your life if he could do that for him? Verse 4. Then it says, then he fell to the ground. Everybody today, particularly those in the pulpit, we, we're so concerned about hurting somebody's feelings, so concerned about, you know, someone might get upset, someone might lead a church, so, somebody might get their feelings hurt. But sometimes God can't save anybody until after he knocks them on their butt. Now, this is the book. I, I, that was not licensed. Because the Bible says, then he was knocked to the ground. And that knock off his high horse. You, you hear me? You, sometimes you can't gently take people off that horse. God will speak to you in a language that you understand. And if you don't understand nice, he knows how to go the other way. You understand? Then Saul was knocked to the ground. I've had some moments like this in my life. But in the midst of the knockdown, he heard a voice. Sometimes, again, God has to knock you down so you can hear. You're so full of yourself. And he said, I got I to cut you down so you can hear me again. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? May I paraphrase this in the MOS, my favorite version of the Bible. That's the man on the street translation. <laughs> and what God was saying to Saul is, Saul, have you lost your ever-loving mind? Do you really think that you can fight against God and win? So the Lord speaks to him. And, and, and watch what happens next. This is important. Just because a person is religious... Just because someone's called pastor, doctor, bishop, does not mean they know God. 
Paul was one of the most commanding religious figures of his day. But when push came to shove, watch what he had to ask. Knocked off his horse, he said, who are you, Lord? As religious as he was, didn't know the Lord. As religious as some of us are. We do not really know the Lord. We know a tradition. We might have memorized some scriptures, but we don't really know who God is yet. But the Lord is so patient and, and so gentle. I would have walked away, but you figured out. You think you know so much, but that, that's not, not what he did. He said, and he said, the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you've been picking on and persecuting. You see, you might think you are criticizing a pastor. You may think you are criticizing those silly, simple-minded Christians. But when you put your mouth on a man or woman of God who has surrendered their, their life and their being to the Lord, you have just bitten off more than you will be able to chew. That's what Paul was about to discover. Skip to verse 6. So all tough, you know, murder and killing, I'll put you in jail. Letters from the Sanhedrin, Paul stood there trembling. One day we're going to all meet that God we so easily and freely criticize. But who's trembling now? Trembling, mind blown, astonished. He said, Lord. Romans 10 teaches us if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. For the first time in his life, he called Jesus Lord. And his entire life was transformed by that single event. Just one encounter with the risen king will change everything in your life. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Notice he didn't ask, what do you want me to believe? He already believed that Jesus was Lord. He just talked to Jesus who he, he knew was killed. And, and if he's alive, he, he has to be more than just a man. And if he's speaking to people, dear God, you understand what I'm saying? So he wasn't asking what to believe. Undoubtedly, he already believed again that Christ was Lord. But, but we see something. He asked, what do you want me to what? Do, which is action. You see, repentance is a double-sided coin. And if you find a coin with only one side engraved, you cannot use it. A genuine and spendable coin that's useful and, and, and is currency has to have two sides to it in order to be exchanged. The first side of this coin is our beliefs. He believed that Jesus was Lord. But the second side of that coin was his actions. So if you just repent from your heart but have no corresponding action, in God's economy, there's no exchange. 
In God's economy, it's not genuine. In God's economy, that has to be recalled. True repentance shows up first in the heart, and that's where it matters most. But if it's in your heart, it will show up in your life and in your behavior and in your deeds. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. Let's go back to where we started, Acts chapter 15 and verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city that we have preached the word of the Lord. And let's see how they're doing. How many know it's easy to make a child? Yeah. How many know it's kind of fun to make a child? Yeah. But it only takes a few key missed opportunities to lose a child. Paul and Barnabas wouldn't let that happen. They had established a church. Those churches were young and pivotal and and, and, a very important stage in their growth. So they had to go back and make sure they were there for these very significant moments in their new children's lives. Now, Barnabas was determined. How many know determined is a strong language? When I say I'm determined, that means I'm absolutely committed. It's going to be very tough to get me to change my mind. So he was determined to take John Mark with him, or John called Mark. And if you're familiar with the scriptures, you'll know two chapters back, he had abandoned uh, Barnabas and, and, and Paul while they were out ministry. And you know, when, when the going gets tough, typically it's the weak that go home. And that's exactly what happened with, with, with John Mark. When it got hard, he was like, I'm out of here. Sayonara, arrivederci, you know, adios, goodbye, however you want me to say, I'm out of here. This was his attitude. But watch 38. One man is determined. But Paul insisted, how many of you know that's strong language? That they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with the work. Now, a lot of people think ministry is spotlight. Ministries work. Yeah. And Mark started realizing the work attached to it. He's like, I, you know what? I don't know if I'm ready for this. And, and Paul agreed. Paul was thinking, you know what? Mark is probably not ready. And due to the urgency of this trip, I don't want to have to spend most of my time ministering to my team. I want to be able to minister to the people that, that we're sent to. I mean, you don't, you don't want to be in a foxhole with someone you don't know if they're going to shoot you. You, you don't want to be in a foxhole with somebody you don't know if they're going to run away. You know what I'm saying? When, when you're in the middle of the valley, you want someone that you know is going to stand by you, you know, hook a crook, you know, rain, sleet, or snow, that they, they, they with you. And Paul said, right now, we don't have time for that. And here's the deal. You don't put the weak on the front line until they're strong. It's not only good for the, the, the larger mission, but it's also good for them. They could get killed out there. They, they could cause great harm out there if they are not uh, positioned and hardened for battle. Verse 39. Then the contention became so sharp. Now, Mark was Barnabas's nephew, and nothing stirs up trouble more than an argument over family members. How many of you know that's true? And Barnabas probably felt like, you know, Paul, you owe me. I stuck out my neck for you. You know, no one believed in you, but, but I was the one who discovered you. 
And, and Paul, you should do the same uh, for my John Mark. I did it for you. Now, now do me a favor. And, and it created some issues. And, and it got so heated. Watch this. That they parted from one another. This is what I wanted to get to this morning. You see, most of us, we feel it's our duty, at least on a subconscious level, to take sides whenever there's a conflict. But here's what I learned. Every conflict is not a zero-sum game. It's not always somebody's bad and the other person's all good. It's not always someone is completely lost and, and only one person wins. You know, sometimes we just think too highly of ourselves. Like, you know, I'm taking, who are you to take a side anyway? Who really cares what you think about what has happened? I mean, why are you chiming in like you really know some information? I go on to preaching good now. I mean, we got to take sides. It has to be black and white. But, but you don't have to call somebody the devil. No one has to be the devil. Two honest and godly people can disagree and walk on. It doesn't have to be hate. It doesn't have to be raised. It doesn't have to be all that. It's like, listen, listen, listen. All right, I, I hear what you're saying, but, but this is what I'm saying. I love you, but, but hey, you hear what I'm saying? It said the contention became so sharp, two godly men, two godly men, that they parted from one another. Now, this disagreement was painful for everybody involved. But, you know, God sometimes has his own reasons for not solving a crisis immediately. That's why you don't want to jump in. You know, what I learned with marriage counseling, early on, you know, a wife would come to your husband and try to get me on their side. And sometimes I, I, well, I, I, I don't know if I, I saw it coming each time, but every now and then I would say something that, that would give one spouse ammunition to take back to the other spouse. And then it would seem like I'm on somebody's side. The reality is I don't care who did what, I want the marriage to work. I want the children to have two parents. I'm not interested in taking sides. I'm, I'm interested in moving this thing yes. forward. But what, the, the point I'm making is that God uses this agreement to actually double their missionary force. So sometimes when there's conflict, and there could even be a right and wrong, but God has a larger picture in mind. And even what the devil intends for evil, God knows how to work it out and make it work for good. And we have to learn to believe that and trust that. But what I'm saying is, I'll have a spouse come to me and tell me how bad their husband. Oh, he yells at me. He beats me. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. And what's amazing is, then they'll go back with their spouse. And then I'm the bad guy because I said something about it. And that's why you have to be wise when family members come to you. Talking about my husband did this, my husband did this. And then they go back to their husband or back to their wife. And then all of a sudden, they don't come to dinner with you anymore. Because, you know, they, they set you up where, where, where you're now the bad guy because you took a side. So you need to learn to be wise. Step back and say, well, okay, I hear the issue. And based on what you're saying, that doesn't seem right. But I need you to understand, I'm, I'm pulling for both of you. I love all of you. And I want this thing to work. 
And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. So one team went one way, preaching the gospel, the same gospel they've been preaching. But Paul and Silas departed, and this other team went the other way, preaching what? The same gospel. Again, out of this conflict came a doubling of effort. Conflicts aren't always bad. Sometimes good things can happen out of them if you respond properly. But there is a distinction that I need to caution you about here. It's a very important one. It says, Paul and Silas were commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Now, you would easily skip that portion of Scripture. What's the big deal? But what the text is saying is that Paul launched his second missionary journey with the blessing of the leadership of the church at Antioch. And it hints at the fact that Barnabas probably left without it. Some scholars say this is the reason we never hear Barnabas again. From this point, you never hear of him. Why? Because some people think the blessings of the church, the blessings of God-directed people are irrelevant. It's all about me and my God. I have this personal relationship that's independent of anybody else, and we become American instead of spiritual. You know, in America, we have this rugged individualism, and and we honor it and salute it, but in the Bible, it will kill you. When Jesus sent out his leaders, he sent them out two by two. He never sent out just one. Only Jesus was sent out by himself. Only the redeemer of the world could handle that type of pressure. But even when Peter healed that man at the gate, beautiful, the Bible said it was Peter and John together that went to the temple. You know, if, if one man falls down and you're by yourself, who's going to lift you up? Because he actually said, if, you, if you're cold and, and you're out there at night, who's going to warm you? God loved humanity so much, he said, you know what? I'm going to put y'all in pairs. So a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. God created us to be in a company. And we act like that company doesn't matter. That's what's wrong with us. But Barnabas, he wasn't blessed. And that lack of blessing limited his destiny. And I made sure in my ministry that there were fathers in the faith that could lay their hands on me. People who heard God, people who loved me, people that I commune with, people who knew me would anoint me and bless me. That is vital in the growth of every believer. 2 Timothy 4 and 11. I want you to watch how this whole narrative ends. This is the last epistle that Paul writes. He has run his race. He's ready for his crown. He's about to face death, and, and all of 2 Timothy is about that. Watch his final words. He says, only Luke is with me. But watch this. Get Mark. We can always come back. Mark messed up. But before it was over, he said, get Mark and bring him with you. Watch this. For what was going on with Mark was just a season. Did you hear what I'm saying? It was just a time where he had to grow, but it wasn't permanent. And don't let some bad season you went through mark the rest of your life. 
said, bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. The Message Bible says that Mark had become Paul's right hand. Sometimes all people need is a little space to grow. And all people need is a little space to forgive and let go. The King James says it this way. And I like the way it says it. Again, this man messed up. This man, you know, ran from battle. He should have, you know, I'm not military, but uh, what do you call it when you, you leave? And AWOL, yeah, Bagdoll, whatever his name is. Yeah, okay. Okay. But watch it. He said, for he is profitable. See? You can't judge somebody based on a season. You can't even base a marriage. Every marriage is going to go through something. Every single person is going to go through a season where they are lonely, they are tired, they are frustrated. And you can write that person off because they had a lapse. But watch what happens. He said, for he, Mark, John, Mark, is profitable to me for the ministry. God wants everyone in this room who messed up in some season in your life to know if you learn from it, if you learn from it, your failure can become your very greatest asset, but you have to learn from it. Don't quit because of it. Don't walk away because of it, but learn from it. There was a stockbroker. Actually, he wasn't a stockbroker. He was a funds manager. And this was back in the 90s where, you know, everybody was getting a turn of at least uh, 30% or so every year. And he messed up the fund. He was a young guy, a new fund manager. And instead of, you know, ending the year 30% up, not even 20% up, he ended the year in the negative. And the, the board came to the CEO and said, you know what, you need to fire that guy. The CEO had a little bit of wisdom. He said, that man has just had the most expensive education possible. That man had learned a lesson that he would never, ever repeat again. Many of us have had costly experiences. We failed in big ways. But all we did was weep about and cry about it and maybe quit over them. But if you learn from them, they could become the most valuable and instructive things in your life and destiny. Mark would never leave Paul again. In fact, Mark actually sat at the feet of Peter. And we have the gospel of John Mark, the gospel of Mark. Because he sat at the feet of Peter and wrote down what Peter was saying. And after he saw the conflict of too many honored, too many loved over him, he would never do such a thing again. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.